Yeah, so uh, Juliana and I moved from Dallas, Texas, from North Carolina in July of 2020. And being in a new area, I just did what I kind of, you know, do as my form of community, and that was join a uh, CrossFit gym. Uh, the gym was great, you know, good people there, uh, had a good time. But us being young parents, we were, you know, we could kind of tell we were just in different walks with most of the people that were at that gym. And we kind of saw that the friendships we were making there, while they were good, they weren't, they weren't fitting all of our needs. We just felt pretty alone. Um, we have no family here, no friends. Uh, so, you know, nine months later, I got pregnant again, and we just, we were, we were pretty lonely. So I started Googling churches around us, and that's how I found Heartland. Uh, we first came to Heartland about a year later. We always had intentions of going, but we definitely used the life and kids excuse quite a bit. But, you know, once we committed to attending church every Sunday, um, we recalled Pastor Dusty's challenge. And uh, it was, you know, it was one that he mentioned, and it was that one-year challenge. And so, you know, Jules and I got together and we committed ourselves to one full year of, you know, committing our faith, serving, um, not only attending every Sunday, but also every Wednesdays. And then uh, lastly, which I think helped us immerse ourselves the most was, you know, joining small groups. I think the most helpful for me was the Young Families group. Uh, just because moving here with no family, uh, we were in need of friends and connections with people that not only have kids, but were also rooted in the same faith as us. We definitely feel like we have created a strong foundation of friendships, not only for ourselves, but for our children from that group. The group I joined was the uh, men's coffee group on Wednesday mornings, and it's become a day that I look forward to every week now. You know, we get together, we pick a book that we read as a group, and these books just, you know, I think they individually help all the men in the group to grow in their faith, uh, become better fathers, husbands, friends. It's also a great space to confide and share with men that you can relate to. Um, I mean, I've grown to love each and every one of those guys, and uh, I consider myself blessed to be part of that group. Yeah, Don and I truly believe we have found a home at Heartland, and we both think joining a small group is a great step to feeling more at home. Well, good morning, everybody. And speaking of groups, uh, knowing that I was going to be up here today, I sent out a message to all the, the folks in my group up in Lantana and said, I need some support today. All these teenagers down here are part of my group. Uh, before I do anything else, let me uh, greet all of those folks who are joining us online today. Could you let them know how glad you are? And uh, four of those teenagers that are part of my group texted me just a little bit ago from Michigan and said they're watching online. So we have people all over the country watching today, and we're so glad and I just want to say today, as, uh, as legacy pastor, that I'm so proud of uh, Pastor Dusty and Pastor Kendra for the great job they are doing, amen, <clears throat> for the incredible vision for Seek Week that we just had. Every night touched me, and we're looking forward to an incredible fall. It's going to be awesome, don't you think? 
So get ready, get ready, get ready, as Bishop Jakes would say, get ready, get ready, get Uh, a month or so ago, our staff went to a conference on the West Coast, and they allowed me to tag along, uh, and it was such an incredible blessing. Every session that I attended was amazing, and the very first night, the speaker spoke about the power of the church and the hope that the church gives the world, and uh, I was sit- sitting beside Pastor Dusty, and he was uh, feverishly typing That man can type, I don't know how many words a minute he can type on his computer, but he was taking very detailed notes. And when he finished the message, I leaned over to him and I said, "Uh, I think this is a message our church needs to hear. And if you don't mind sending me those notes. (laughs) I feel so strongly that if you're okay with it and give me permission, the next time I'm asked to speak, hint, hint. And here we are this morning, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I'm I'm gonna tell you that John Maxwell, I attended the great leadership guru, I attended one of his sessions for lead pastors one time, and he says there's three ways pastors that are here today that you can cite your sources. You can say, number one, John Maxwell says, or number two, you can say, it has been said. Or number three, you can say, I was praying the other day. <laughs> and so I will tell you the day that I'm drawing heavily from the notes of the message that, that Pastor Dusty typed out so carefully uh, on his computer that night. I want to begin reading in Ephesians, the first chapter. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and he wants the church to know that he's been praying for them. And uh, I want to make sure you're alive today. Are you here with me? Oh, that sounds good. So give me some good energy today. Are you ready? So he's praying. He wants them to know, and he says, uh, verse 18, he says, I've been praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that your eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. In other words, he's saying to them that that he has a hope. God called you. He had a hope for you. And he wants you to fulfill what he's called you to do. And he said, I'm praying that you would continue to know what are the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So there's three things that are mentioned that he's, he's praying for. He's He says, I want you to know the hope that he has in you. And he says, I'm praying that you would know the value that he places on you. You are jewels. You're really valuable to him. I'm praying that you would know that. And thirdly, I'm praying that you would know the power that he has given you. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things, everybody say all things, things. under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to read that last verse out of the message paraphrase. It says it this way, The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Think about that for just a moment. This is, this is uh, Paul writing about what Christ has expectation of for the church. And when I read this, and I read certain parts of the Bible, um, this, this can be interpreted as, as like this, as the Lord reaches the world by focusing on His church. And His focus is on His church continually. And when He focuses on His church, the world is in His peripheral vision. But the church, you see, listen closely, is Christ's body through which He speaks and which He acts and by which He fills everything with His presence. And I believe with all my heart that the church is still the hope of the world. I said the church, and I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about God's church globally, internationally. The church is the hope of the world. I believe it more than I ever have in my life. And I don't want to just tell you the church is the hope of the world. I want to tell you why. I want to give you four big reasons why I believe the church is the hope of the world. But before I tell you what I want to tell you, let me tell you what I'm not telling you. What I'm not telling you today is that the church is perfect. The church is not perfect. Uh, in fact, we're far from it. Can I get an amen from somebody today? I'm not telling you that church people are always better than unchurched people because that's not always the case. My singing buddy, Randy Phillips, says something to me often. And this is what he says. The Lord must love pitiful little old people because he made so many of us. <laughs> That's us. And if you look behind the curtain of where ministry in the church takes place, where people gather in the church, we're all just a little bit pitiful. And even within the four walls of the church, there's a lot of imperfection. The church that you're sitting in today, that you're part of, this local community of believers will not always get it right. We will miss it sometimes. We don't have all the answers. We just don't. And I want you to hear me well today. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you should trust everybody in church. You shouldn't. I tell people if you leave your purse unmanaged while you stand at your feet or head to the front of the church, you're on your own. We have all kinds of people hanging out here at Heartland. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to trust everybody at church. Don't trust everybody at church. I cringe sometimes when I hear that church members are going into business together. Did you get a contract? Well, he's a brother. Shut up and get a contract, okay? <laughs> And I'll tell you that I've messed up. I remember probably my, one of my worst mess-ups in my ministry was 
somebody had a wedding schedule. One of our dear friends' family had a wedding schedule that I was performing. It was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It was before the days that I had alarms on phones and all the stuff that helped me remember things today. And I forgot the wedding on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. And I get a call about 10.50, and I'm still in the bed. And they're saying, Pastor Dan, where are you? Who is this? We have a wedding in 10 minutes. And I threw the phone down, and my wife was ironing clothes, and I jumped in the shower and arrived 30 minutes late to the wedding. I didn't always get it right. I'm not telling you the worship is always going to be perfect. Although I would say this church is pretty spot on, wouldn't you, when it comes to the worship? I'm not going to tell you that somebody's not going to hit a wrong note or sing a wrong word or play a wrong note on occasion. The volume is going to be too loud for some and it's going to be too soft for others. And there are some Sundays that I'm sitting back there worshiping and I'm saying to myself, Oh, whoever's up there running the words, you're behind. Move it up a little. Get a little faster. And then some Sundays I'm saying, you're going too slow. You're going too fast. I appreciate you folks up there running all this stuff. (laughs) My point is this, that we're not going to always get it right. There will be mess-ups. There will be goof-ups. We, the willing, are led by the unknown, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful, and we have done so much with so little for so long that we are now qualified to do anything, everything with nothing. (laughs) And so, saying all that, you may wonder, well, why does he say the church is still the hope of the world? I'm going to give you four reasons today. Number one is the generational geographical magnitude of the church. The generational geographical magnitude of the church makes it one of the big reasons why the church is the hope of the world. You see, at the time of Christ, Christianity was a frail movement. But within 300 years, it completely took over the Roman Empire. It grew from just a handful of people that were in the upper room to over 5 million believers. It became the largest known religion of the world. And so here we are 2,000 years later. And the kingdom of God is in the nations of the world. Let me take a few moments and celebrate the magnitude of the church. Let me give you some information and some data. There are an estimated 380,000 churches in the U.S. and 3 million Christian churches worldwide. Come on, somebody. That's pretty nice. I think you ought to applaud that today and celebrate that with me. For comparison, Starbucks, which seems to have a store on every corner, has approximately 16,000 U.S. stores and 35,000 stores worldwide. In reality, the number of churches internationally is unknown because the church is everywhere in little nooks and crannies and villages. Some research shows that there are over 20 million churches in the world. And the above slide that you saw is using a conservative number of 3 million. But I think that's still a lot of churches, ladies and gentlemen. 3 million is still a lot. 
But I, and I think for sure we can be confident of that number. But I need you to understand, contrary to everything that you hear, if you just listen to the news, you will hear how the church is in decline and it's going down. Well, that's one person or one network's perspective. But I'm going to give you some real information today about the church. You want to hear it? There are 50,000 more churches in the U.S. today than there were 30 years ago. 50,000. There are an estimated 230 million Christians in the United States. As of mid-year 2023, there are 2.6 billion Christians worldwide. This is a 44 million person increase from mid-year of 2022. Is there anybody here today that can celebrate what God is doing in the world through the church? Come on. And by the way, when I throw out those numbers for you, here's, here's another comparison for you that is mind-boggling. There are 1.4 billion vehicles on the earth. So there's a billion more Christians than there are vehicles running around on the earth today. And it's crazy, it's crazy where revival is breaking out. One of our overseers, Pastor Terry Smith, was just invited recently to speak to a group of Christians in Dubai a place where you could not begin to even expect that there was an outbreak of revival, and yet he was blown away by the strength of the Christian church in this Arabic country that believes mostly in the Muslim doctrine. His mind was blown. Places that we don't think the church is strong, like the underground church in China, is flourishing. Terms that, that you know, we don't even understand the terms of the strength and the growth and the progress of the church today. And our presence, speaking of the Christian church, transcends that of any institution. Think about this. It transcends any corporation, any government, any franchise, any people group. Now, I know you come to church here at Heartland Church on Sunday, and generally we'll have about seven or 800 people on a given Sunday. I'm told that the average attendance of church, of the average church in the United States is about 80 people. And whatever church you attend, that's the framework with which you think. But when we talk about God's great church, I'm trying to elevate your thoughts today to understand why we say that the church is really is the hope of the world. Let me give you a little background today from 2000 to 2022, the global Christian population increased by 1.18% annually, with Pentecostals slash Charismatics seeing the highest annual growth rate at, at 1.88%, followed by Evangelicals at 1.79%, followed by Independents at 1.65%, and Protestants at 1.58%. The Christian population growth rates from 2000 to the present have been the highest in Africa, followed by Asia, and then Latin America. 
I just think we need to hear these numbers in the face of all the negativity you hear about the church. We're just painted at the church is so frail and weak and barely making it and just barely getting by. And the government said we weren't essential. <laughs> the clubs were essential. Places that, you know, shouldn't have been were essential, but the church and something rises up within you when you realize how easy it is just to view the church in some minimalistic fashion like we're just limping along. Let me give you some news today. Even here in North America and Europe, the, the trend is still going up for the Christian church. And the point is, the global presence and the continued growth translates into hope for the world. That's the reason I believe that the church is still the hope of the world. The second reason is this, the greatness of the gospel. I love the gospel message. The world offers temporary hope, but only the gospel provides enduring hope. There's hope outside yourself, hope beyond yourself. Hope beyond your best. Hope when all else fails. I'm talking about the gospel today. Hope that is sustainable on the mountain, in the valley, in the dark days, in the good days. And then hope for eternity on, on top of all of that. The gospel, the gospel gives us grace we don't deserve. Peace we don't understand. Joy in the midst of suffering, strength and weakness, life and abundance. The gospel assures us that God is with us, that God is for us, that we can live without guilt or shame or condemnation. The gospel assures us that Jesus' victory over the world has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. I love the church because it is the purveyor of the gospel. The gospel assures us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If you're going to be woke to something, be woke to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to have allegiance to something, have allegiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is by far the heavyweight champion of hope for the world. Nothing else even comes close. It's unmatched in its promises and its power to save and to heal and to restore and to strengthen and to bless. Is there a witness today of the power of the gospel in this church? The third reason why the hope is, uh, why the church is still the hope of the world, is the unparalleled wisdom of Judeo Christian values. Unparalleled. Studies show today that young people are hungry and that there's an increasing appetite for sanity and stability. Studies show that young people see the wreckage and ruin that. That have that those that have adopted the no boundaries rule and the idea that truth is not absolute. 
and, and young people are searching and hungry for the very thing that those ahead of them have rejected. And can I just say the wreckage they're seeing is going to be more visible in the upcoming years in our world, which is why the values of our Christian faith will become, I believe, more attractive again and desirable for many who are seeing what happens when people reject the ancient and godly wisdom that God has given our lives through the Scripture. Most people have heard the term Judeo-Christian values, but they don't even know what that means. Judeo-Christian is a reference to the teachings and beliefs of both Judaism and Christianity. A lot of people don't know, for example, that the Old Testament is the Bible for the Hebrew people. That's what they use and study. Uh, the order of it is different, but it's the same text, the same values. Margaret Thatcher said this, The truth, truth of the Judeo-Christian tradition are infinitely precious, not only because they're true, but also because they provide the moral impulse which alone can lead to that peace for which we all long. When it comes to society, and I, I'm not talking about eternal life, okay? I, I've already told you about the graceness of the gospel. But when it comes to society, values are more important than theology. If there's ever been a time for Christians to reconnect with our Christian values, it's right now. If there's ever been a time to talk about our values and teach them and impart them to our children and to others, it's now. The world is upside down crazy, unstable, misguided. It's lost its way. And it's, it's become obvious that the world doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. They're on a treadmill acting like it works, and they're not going anywhere. I grew up in a, in a strict Christian home, and there were rules and regulations. And as a kid, I remember looking outside of the church, looking at everybody else and thinking, we're the weird ones. We are inferior. They're not, we're just not as smart as they are. They're just so much better. We're just a simple little church people. Can I tell you that my scenario has totally changed? I'm like looking around me thinking, people are going crazy. Amen. They've lost their minds. I used to think that if people found out what we believed, they would think we were stupid and now I go look what they believe <laughs> they've clearly lost their ability to think clearly and many people assume that the Christian faith is a baseless, baseless faith all fluff and no substance and the church has in many cases helped to promote that perspective simply by failing to champion our basic Christian values. We should never be ashamed of what we stand on as truth from the Word of God. There's been a slippage in the biblically informed conscience. You're informed by the Word of God, and then something happens in your conscience that will say to you, that's not right. That's wrong. And the goal should be that we know enough about kingdom principles and the ways of the kingdom of God 
that when you see the other way, you will know it. You will say to yourself, that's not kingdom principles. But it's the slippage in the biblical informed conscience that is not something that the world has done to the church. It's something the church has done to itself. And the more, listen carefully, the more that the the culture moves away from a Christian worldview, the more messed up and broken and dysfunctional the world becomes. Because just as Pastor Dusty talked, I think it was last Sunday, houses that are built on sand will not stand. But the hope of the church provides for the world. It's It's a decision that not just gives us eternal life, but it's a better way to live life while we're here, right here on earth. And I think we should hold up our heads just a little bit higher. I think we need not to feel intimidated by the world we live in, talking trash about our values and what we believe and what we hold fast to and who we are. And I'm going to give you seven, seven of these Judeo-Christian values. There's obviously more, but let me give you seven of of these. Number one, there is one God. And that God is referred to in the Hebrew Bible, which is also our Old Testament. Uh, And he's mentioned in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus of the New Testament. Number two, God created the world and everything in it. Number three, human beings are created in the image of God. Therefore, every human life is precious, and ethnicity and race have no bearing on a person's significance in our world and to God. Number four, the nuclear family is the foundation of society. Man, woman, and children. That's the foundation. That's the way God ordained it to be. God created us, male and female, to be in covenant with one another. And parents should teach their children the ways of God from generation to generation. If you want to disagree, you're not disagreeing with me. Just read the first three chapters in the Bible. Number five of Judeo-Christian values is without God there are no moral truths, only opinions. Moral truths are the same for all people. Number six, we are a product of original sin. Why do you have to remind me of that, Pastor Dan? (laughs) Because you must understand that man is not basically good. I I want to believe in the goodness of people. And I look at somebody and I say, there is a good person. There's a good family. There's a good man. There's a good woman. But listen, we need God's rules and God's boundaries to keep us from going in the wrong direction. That's why we look at his word for guidance. We need the true north of God's word to guide and direct us and keep us on track. Because as the scripture says, there is no one righteous, no, not. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. Born that way, not, not basically good. Humanity is not basically good. In fact, you could go to the point where you could say, Almost everything about man is bad, left to himself. Without God, man is a mess. 
we understand this is a value to our faith and it makes us understand our great need for God. Number seven, the world functions to a divine order and people benefit according to the extent that we live in alignment with that order. I think I might need to read that again. The world functions to a divine order and people benefit according to the extent that we live in alignment with that order. And we're being told today that our beliefs are not loving. That stating and teaching our values are somehow mean and non-Christian. And I want to talk to some of you who may be struggling with that today. The reality is the opposite. It's, it's just the opposite is true. Think about it. Any parent who loves their children will teach them how to stay safe. How to play safe, how to live with boundaries, would we'll teach them about where and who to watch out for. That's love. Here's some guidelines. That's love. A loving parent doesn't let their kids just do anything they want to do. And I, I understand there are those kind of Christians out there. Who, who are just messed up and full of a spirit of hate. I'm not talking about that today, okay? Uh, God love them and bless them. But there are people out there who are just so filled with hate and they're angry. They call themselves Christians, I wonder. But listen, you can't, you can't be getting what I'm talking about messed up today. There's a difference in being nice and being kind. Sometimes we are nice when being nice is not always really the gold. Kindness should be the attribute and the attitude of the Christian. But I'm not sure we should always be tiptoeing around making sure that we're nice about every subject. See, God's love and God's law are complementary to one another. They're not opposed to one another. And some people would say, just preach Jesus. Pastor Dusty, just preach Jesus which is, insinuates usually that the pastor should stay away from addressing hot-button cultural topics. Don't talk about those things. And I pray for my son because there's never been a day. I've never had to face a time in my pastorate where things are going on that's happening in the world today. I don't have to deal with the stuff he's facing today. And I pray for him. I pray for him daily. God, direct him. Give him wisdom. Let him know when to speak and when not to speak. Pastor Dusty, but why can't you just preach Jesus? Just talk about him in a way that people like him. Which hopefully will cause everyone to believe in him. Pastor Dusty, you're driving people away. And here's the conclusion I would draw. Just preach Jesus is an insult to Jesus. Why do you say that? Because Jesus didn't come to earth on his own mission. He came representing the Father. Do you remember the Father is the one that wrote the Ten Commandments? Do you remember that? Jesus didn't come saying, hey, don't pay any attention to my dad. He's old. He's cranky. He's old-fashioned. 
No, he didn't come like that. He said, I came to glorify my Father. I and the Father are one. And like Pastor Dusty said, Sonny, there's a huge difference in, in believing in Jesus and believing like Jesus. There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus, but they don't believe like Jesus. They don't believe anything that Jesus believed. And there is this tension in the goodness of the gospel and mercy and grace that we've all experienced and that I talked about earlier. There's a tension between that and the Judeo-Christian values. And I'm not oblivious to the fact that there's a tension there because people can get saved and their direction from life still come from Snoop Dogg and the Kardashians and TikTok and Facebook and Lady Gaga. And you can be saved and just kind of put Jesus over there in his little group and you get a little bit from him on Sunday and a little bit of this over there and a little bit of Snoop Dogg and over here is Taylor Swift and we got to listen to and voices are coming from everywhere and they believe this voice and they believe that voice because when people become saved, they don't automatically become smart. They don't automatically start believing like Jesus. They don't know what they don't know. It's not like they get saved and walk out of church knowing how to live a righteous life and what it means to honor God and what is good and what is not good and what to say and what not to say. They don't do that automatically. They don't walk out and say, on a Sunday they give their heart to the Lord and say, I now know God's plan for my life and this is God's plan for my marriage. They don't walk out knowing that automatically. A person can get saved and still be living in their own logic and their own hurts and their own disappointments and their anger which those are the same beliefs they've been living with that create the same bad outcomes in their life and so when we when I when we talk about believing like Jesus I'm talking about him and his disciples imperfect they weren't perfect they had a lot of mess ups but their belief system was a belief system that oftentimes modern Christianity has distanced itself from our book, our laws, I'm calling it laws, and I'm not legalistic. Thank God he's delivered me from that legalistic mindset. But the principles of life, the values given to us by Holy Scripture produce the best life possible for us. And why would we not want to be the delivery system from, from the voice of heaven to lead people into their best life possible? We can do it with love and not with hate. Good job, Pastor Dan. Amen. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then will you be prosperous and successful. I want every Christian to be prosperous and successful. Therefore, the laws of God have to be applied to our lives. Why would we not want that for the world? And I think we do, but sometimes we get hesitant because it's not going to be received by everyone. When you speak truth, not everybody's going to be wide open to it. But if somehow we could have the courage to say, God, help me. 
Because I really do want to be faithful to your word. And I don't want people to walk into this church and get saved in an emotional moment and never hear the way of life. They don't always realize that life has an upside to it when you live life God's way. They have to be taught and told. There is a scripture that says this. There is a way that seems right to man. But that way is destruction. Thank God we have a better way of life to offer people. Here's the last reason. God chose the church to expand his kingdom on the earth. God chose the church. And he chose it to what? To expand his kingdom. I didn't choose the church. You didn't choose the church. God chose the church. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's not a man's idea. Everybody say, this is God's idea. And the church is not the kingdom. The church is chosen by God to carry the message of the kingdom. So you can't be for the kingdom and not be for the church. In God's mind, the church is the most essential institution on the face of the earth. Because it's the carrier of the kingdom message. It's the expander of the kingdom. Kingdom and church are eternally connected in God's purpose. Listen to this passage. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, which is the revelation that was just revealed, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Eternally bound. United together in eternal purpose of God. Church and kingdom. Hand in hand. When you get mad at the church and think, I'll just quit the church. You can't quit the church without quitting the kingdom. And the church is invincible. And I've heard, I hope that you've heard enough in the way of data and statistics today, today to, to be encouraged about God's church and the growth of God's church. God founded it. God created it and purposed it. It's indestructible. It's unshakable. It's unstoppable, as the song I sing says. In the movie Top Gun, I saw somebody smile just then. <laughs> there is a scene with Maverick, who's the top gun of fighter pilots. And Maverick is old school. He's old school because he's all about succeeding in the mission and getting all the guys back home safely. He's clear on that. He's not about useless protocol. He's not about being nice. He's not about everybody liking him. He's not trying to get the people above him to like him so that he can get promoted. 
It's not how he's wired. He's wired to go on a mission, succeed on the mission, and bring everybody back home safely. And when he must risk violating the boundaries of the higher ranking officers to get guys home safely, he's willing to do that because he's clear on his mission. And Maverick gets asked by the Navy to come back out of retirement. They needed him. They needed guys like him. They need his kind. And a lot of the guys who were more by the book, they didn't like him. They didn't like it. But they actually needed a guy like him. So there's this scene where the Admiral, who was an advocate for automated drones... And he's all about the protocol, everything being packaged and right. He's following the rules of order. But this admiral's got an attitude that says he's angry that they've even brought Maverick back. He's irritated. And this admiral can't figure out why the Navy needs this old school, gritty, gutsy leader like Maverick. The Admiral doesn't like that. So in this one scene, he dismisses Maverick. And Maverick is walking toward the door because his commanders told him to leave. And about the time he gets to the door, the Admiral says to him, paraphrasing here, Maverick! Maverick turns slightly back. And he says, Pilots like you are headed for extinction. You will soon be irrelevant and unneeded. And Maverick stands at the door and he pauses. He looks back at the Admiral and he says, Maybe so, but not today. Not today. Not today. Maybe some of you have heard voices over the last several years that have told you in one way or another you're irrelevant, not needed, can't connect. I've heard that voice myself some over the last several years. You're just too old-fashioned. You don't fit anywhere anymore. You're just not that cool. And by the way, as I was singing and the camera was on and I was facing that direction, I noticed there's a big ball spot on the back of my head. <laughs> You've done your time. I've heard that voice. And then I heard something else. And I know There will be a day when I will take off my boots and I'll be done. But not today.
and I, I am a product of the church. Everything you see in me that's good is a result of the church of God. I grew up in this thing. I was under the pew, asleep on the pew, playing on the pew, watching from the pew. And it was and is the church that protected me, that guided me, that kept me, that elevated me, that rescued me, that carried me, that taught me, that gave me values, and that will carry me the rest of the way home. I love the church. I love the church. And it is still the hope of the world. Be seated. There's a little white church in Texas with a steeple still attached. When all the cars drive by it, they don't know just what. No fancy signs, one service time, the door's always unlocked. It's the first place that I saw the hand of God. And you could tell me there wasn't healing in those walls. And you couldn't tell me angels didn't want those halls on a Wednesday night a Sunday morning we didn't have much but Jesus loved it if you want to know why I am the way I am it's the church I grew up in communion in the back and none of us were perfect but we all tried our best the mother's prayer still in the air of the ones who walked away and the only thing that kept us was God's grace and you couldn't tell me there wasn't healing in those walls and you couldn't tell me that angels didn't walk those halls on a Wednesday night a Sunday morning we didn't have much but Jesus loved it if you want to know I am the way I am it's the church I grew up in
I'm going to tell my kids that there's still healing in these walls. And there's angels dancing down these halls. If it's a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, we don't mean much because Jesus loves it. If you want to know where my history began, if you want to know why I am the way I am, it's the church that I grew up in. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God's church is still alive today. Can I get an amen? His power is still here. Thank you, Jesus. I said his power is still here. And you can try to tell me that the church isn't alive today. But I know that it is. So I'll keep telling my kids. There is healing in these walls. There's angels dancing down these halls. If it's a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, you don't need much, because Jesus loves it. If you want to know where our history began, if you want to know why we are the way we are, it's the church that we're all in. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I love the church, Lord. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, come together as a body on this Labor Day weekend with this community of believers that we call Heartland, your church, we attend here in Carrollton. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the history. Thank you for the people sitting in this room today that gave extra offerings when they didn't get enough in the first offering. Thank you for those people that didn't have lights and cameras and things were pretty basic. But you were there, God. You were always there. Thank you for people that stood by and stood loyal when leadership made mistakes and were able to say they're human and we can forgive them and walk forward. Thank you, Lord, for your church. The church, indestructible, unshakable. Lord, it's your church, and we give thanks for it today. And we celebrate the church. We know you're doing great things in the world through your church. And we will continue to be a part as long as we live. 
God bless you today. Cody's coming. Come on, can we give it up for Pastor Dan this morning? Amen. Such a great word. Well, why don't you stand with me today if you aren't already standing. Just uh, thank you again for coming and being a part. Uh, just a reminder, we have First Wednesday this com that's coming up. And uh, uh, Wisdom Club and all of the great things. Find a group today. Get plugged in. Let's have a great semester. Our team is going to worship us out as we are dismissed. But uh, again, if you'd like to give or be a part of uh, giving the mission and vision of Heartland, there are ways that you can do that um, online or uh, drop in the joy box at the end of the hall. We don't pass buckets, uh, but you can do that just following those instructions. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your giving and all you do. I'm going to pray and our team is going to uh, sing us out as we're uh, dismissed today. So Father, we just thank you uh, for a great day. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the word that was given and, and the church. And we thank you for your church and what you're doing. Lord, we pray that you would bless the offering, anything that's given to build your kingdom. We love you. Keep us safe as we go throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you at First Wednesday, everybody. Take this.